Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, and today we are talking with David Kaunitz. David is an Australian architect who is registered in the UK following graduation from the University of New South Wales. David worked in the UK for seven years where he ran the London office of a large multinational practice and was a senior architect on the London Olympic Village. Subsequently, David lived in the Solomon Islands, um, which is a a lot different living in London, leading community development and post-disaster response for various governments, agencies and NGOs across the Pacific and Southeast Asia. In starting Kaunitz Jung Architecture, he has combined his extensive commercial experience with his knowledge of living in and working with communities. This results in architecture that places people at its centre and where good architecture does not need to necessarily be a luxury item. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, David Kaunitz. Did I pronounce that right? That's right. Where are you go. Well yeah. done. Okay. So, um, you worked as an architect or as an architect for the London Olympics. That sounds thrilling, actually. Uh, what was that like? It was something you'd only do once, actually. Really? Why? <laughs> well, why is that? Well, because it has a deadline that can't be moved, right? And that's uh, that's pretty serious. And um, I was senior architect for BVN on that job. I was actually the first person employed by BVN in London. I was already in London. Okay. And um, it's the, the GFC happened midway through the project so right. the, the project actually had to be bailed out by the government so nice. it was quite a quite a roller coaster um mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's 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 an extreme sport doing stuff for the olympics and uh a lot of uh, you know because if the village doesn't get finished the athletes don't have anywhere to stay and so it gets very stressful with deadlines and and uh, okay and so forth and uh, you're building i think there were five and a half thousand dwell- dwellings in that in that village something like that okay so i assume everything went well well luckily i left before it before uh before uh, it well, got too pointy um right, okay. but uh but uh yeah no no everything went well everything went very well and i've been back to the building since and the the designs were pretty true to the beginning and okay. it's, they're beautiful beautiful projects so after that after you decided to work on something that it could have been a disaster <laughs> you then moved into post-disaster relief planning mm. and design um a, was that a conscious decision? <laughs> B, are you a glutton for punishment? Um, and C, what was it like? Yeah, so actually, actually, it's a weird situation that before the village, I, I ran a practice in London um, for a big commercial practice for four years. And actually, the year before the village, the Olympic Village, I went to the Solomon Islands and went back to London, worked on the village, and then went back to the Solomon Islands. Right. Um, why, so, why, why, why did you pursue the Solomons? Um, so I, I've essentially quit my, my directorship in London and came back to Australia and was just looking to, to come back home, basically, after right. being away for quite a long time. And I, I'd always had in my mind that I'd go to go and do something like that, and I was scouting around for an opportunity, and really just pure luck. I went to a barbecue. Someone at the barbecue told me about this new organization that just formed called Emergency Architects. Right, okay. And uh, I rang them, and they, they'd just been a disaster in the Solomons, and they needed someone to go, someone quite... You know, they needed someone quite senior who had the time to go right. indefinitely, which was which was quite a rare thing to find, and right. that was me. And and a few weeks later, I was in the Solomons. Um, it just was, yeah, it was, it was all uh, one of those bizarre moments. In, is that in Guadalcanal is that that Guadalcanal is the main island, but right. actually the disaster happened right up in the west near Bougainville, so okay. so about as remote as it gets in the okay. Pacific, okay. Uh, really in the world. Um, and it was about 35,000 people displaced over a huge geographical area, remote islands where there were no roads, no sanitation, no water, um, no 
other non-Solomon Island people, so no, you know, no expats, yeah. no white people, no none of that. So it was quite a. You would have stood out a bit. I stood out, yeah. Yeah. It's very untouched by the outside right. world, so there's not a lot of intermarriage or. Okay. And so you, you know, skin colour is one thing, but but the 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 traditional nature of people and the sort of symbiosis they have with their their environment is something unbelievable really okay um no why, where i was going with that is you really would have stood out oh yeah I definitely stood <laughs> yeah out, i yeah. mean <laughs> there's no there would have been no mistake that this guy is not from here yeah that's right well they're also very physically fit and muscular yeah. living in their environment i'm a, right it's a weedy white guy really yeah yeah it's 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 it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all all those days you know you know on, on those cad programs that's right so been quite on record as saying that architecture doesn't necessarily have to be a luxury okay which is obviously you're, you're practicing what you're preaching if you go to a place like the Solomons so there seems to be an issue in many big cities of the of developed nations where or, or, you know a lot of these buildings um, are being built created designed you know apartment buildings as we've seen here in Sydney and Melbourne um, and, and promoted as Luxury, and we use that, you know, inverted commas, luxury living. Um, but they're actually only afforded, they're only luxury because of, because of the price tag in reality. Um, how do we overcome this? I mean, and, and I'm asking you especially because of your dichotomous experience between London and the Solomon Islands. Look, I think that, that comment of mine's in reference to how we're able to produce really high-quality architecture that's very fit for purpose, um, that's really embraced by stakeholders, clients and end-users, communities, um, for very small money. So, for instance, I'll give you the example of the Birupai Medical Clinic in Taree in New South Wales. Right. Um, won three Institute Awards last year, last year including Commer- Commercial Building, Commercial Architecture Prize Award. Um and cost a million dollars, including GST, to build. Um, the community really embraced the building. It's a very significant um, place for the community. It's the, probably the first, well, it is the first building that's really been built as a community hub. Um, it serves a medical function. And it's been it's won European Healthcare Design Awards. It's won a lot okay. of awards around the world. And it's well regarded for how it looks and the, the architecture is, but it's also well regarded by the community and, and the client. Um, and so my point is that good architecture does not necessarily have to be expensive. It just has to be thoughtful. Okay. So good, what you're saying is good design, good design doesn't necessarily cost more? No. No, it doesn't cost more. I think it's just thoughtfulness. And, okay. and really, what is architecture but thoughtfulness? You know, about thinking about something before you do it. If, if, if not for that, someone would just start building. You know, and we see that. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, know. we do. <laughs> Some of us in this booth have done that, but let's not go there. <laughs> so, so really, I think that's the crux of my point. Um, what is the old saying? Measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is, is, that, is that about what you're trying to say? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's... Uh, that's especially true when you're working with culturally diverse communities. I mean, I would say it's true of all architecture because there can be a tendency to get complacent when you're working in your own community or something that you've done a hundred times mm-hmm, before. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to first principles um, is a very good approach. It, it, um, it re-challenges you and, and encourages you to think of improving your solutions. Mm-hmm. But when you're working with the other, with a culturally diverse community, you, you have to 
you, you really, for the project to be a success, you have to spend the time um, dealing in an iterative design process with, with, with people and bringing them along and taking their knowledge and assuming it into the project. And so just rushing forward and do and making assumptions um, and not and cut you know not measuring twice right um, or, or maybe twenty times yeah, okay. um, is is a problem. So you have a collaborative approach to design. Then is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I think I think I think it's collaborative, and that means lots of different things, right? And that means and it's kind of a scale, and it works differently depending on who you're working with. Some people don't want to be involved as much. Some communities want to be involved a lot, right. um, and clients and so forth. So, and it's collaborative, but I would say it's more iterative. I would say that every step we take, we reference that back into the client, user group, and and community to to revalidate that and to give you a lot of opportunity for people to have input and to guide us in the right direction, and not just do that once at the beginning as a catch-all, but really we do that every stage in, in some sometimes quite significant detail um, and the more we get from the clients and the community the, the better the project is really is the, the is that medical center is that the only um, example you can give you because there are other examples of, mm. of you know of great design that didn't actually cost you know the kingdom yeah, so I mean, there's lo- we've got lots of examples. We've the first clinic we did was in the Nundurra lands in the Western Australian desert, thousand k's west of Alice Springs. Um, for that project, I actually lived out there for 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 a time and, and well. did the design out there, um, and that was a fun experience. Every day we'd have meetings with different sorts of people, and I'd go shopping, and people would accost me and say things, and and I had some pretty cynical. We had some very supportive elders from the beginning. We had some pretty cynical elders as well who'd been, you know, let down in the past by, you know, by other people. And um, the opportunity to be involved in such intimate detail really won them over. Those, all those, all the clinics we've done and, and arts, Aboriginal art centres, they're all, you know, they're all modest buildings that are two, one, two, two and a half million dollar projects. Now we've got some bigger projects, much bigger projects on, on the boil, but all those um, projects you would see on our website, they're all quite modest. The mo- most modest project that's um, easily accessible on our website is a school we did in Vanuatu, which is really the culmination of about 200 schools that have a building I've designed right. in them. And um, that's in Takara in Vanuatu. And that building cost $50,000 and was built, okay. was built by the community. Wow. I mean, in terms of buildings, public building, that's not, not a lot, is it? No, no. And... Um, and I think importantly, that building withstood a Category Five cyclone, a direct hit from a Category Five cyclone, okay. and uh, had barely a mark on it. Wow! So, a Category Five. Yeah, it went straight through it. If you look at the map, it went straight through, and uh, it's pretty. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. So, so I suppose that illustrates the point. It doesn't need to cost the earth to be a good piece of architecture. If you give people input, if you give people power, real power, not pretend power, um, there tends to be a lot more um, buy-in, I guess. And um, there, or there also is something that we can learn from Indigenous design. So do you think that, that perhaps you may well be 
uh, and uh, dare I use the word, an innovator in, in that area, would you, would you say, or, or at least doing something very different to what a lot of people are doing? Look, there, there are people that do what we do and there are some very formidable people that have come before us and we, you know, we, um, we benefit from the experience of the way, of the way they worked and, and Paul uh, Foleros is, is a good example of that. Um, our process is continuing to evolve and I think, you know, the, the types of buildings change, the scale of the building we're now working on increasing. Mm. Um, then, you know, the buildings are getting to be buildings that address several communities instead of being in one community. So we're doing a quite a complex project in Arnhem Land that deals with a very diverse user group over a lot of communities. Right. And so that brings a whole lot of challenges. The, the intimacy of, of being able to consult in a community is not as easy. And okay. so... And so yeah, the, the process needs to evolve to to still capture the benefits. Um, so I think, look, I think there are other people doing this, and I think you know, it, it's not rocket science at the end of the day. Um, what what we're doing, it's but it is about execution, and I think it is about forming those relationships in community, um, forming a trust with the community, and that's done through you know, through listening, through um, doing what they ask, but it's also you, you must also not as an architect lose sight of the fact you must create a great outcome at the end. I mean, all that is well and good. Yeah. But the but the building at the end must be must be good, right? Right. And it must, yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's it's not one thing. It's a whole range of things, and it's different on on different projects. But we are very focused on making the best piece of architecture we can in each for each project, irrelevant of the location. And uh, it's not just about the utilitarian nature of meeting the needs of the community. We are also focused on that. Okay. So you've worked for big firms. Um, you mentioned BVN. That's a pretty big firm as far as I can see. Um, you're now uh, principal of your own firm. So Kaunitz Jung. Is that how you pronounce Jung Architecture, yes? That's right. Yeah. Um, which do you, I mean, you, you can, it's, it's, this is a soundproof pod. No one will actually hear this. <laughs> which do you prefer and why in terms um, of working? Oh, look, I think, you know, it's not really fair to compare. I was only at BVM for a year, and before that, as I tell you, five, five or six years at an English firm, which I was for quite a long time, quite a bit of that time, a director of. And, look, you know, the sort of work we're doing now in our own practice is really exciting. We love what we do. We do projects that really motivate us every day. There's a very – there's a lot of excitement in the office. People are doing what they're passionate about. Right. And, um, you know, I think – it's, it's very hard to compete with that in any any other context of, in my professional of life. Course, of course, you know. So you've got more control, though, don't you? We do. We have more control, and we don't. We're not burdened with the kind of bureaucracy of a big firm, you know, and the and the and the yeah. overheads and all those things of a big firm. So we're we're much more account nimble. managers. That's right. Yeah, finance directors. Finance directors. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, we're we're much more able to um, try things and be more responsive we can spend more time out in community um you know because we don't measure our time by the minute you know and uh if i go away for the weekend to a community or someone you know we 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 don't clock that on our time sheet you know know, we 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 account for our projects in a reasonable way okay and we're you know we're also trying to build a good body of work you know we're, we're not we're not um you know, we, we all want to make a quid. Everyone wants to get paid, of course, but it's not—it's not the 
the only driver or even maybe the main main driver as long as you know we've got enough to live right um and the benefit for me is that the the young in county young is my wife and she's bought you know she she's been along for the ride we were actually we had a wedding in sydney but we also had a custom wedding in the solomon islands okay she met me when i was living out there and so so you know we're in we're sort of in this and okay. uh, we're committed to committed to doing this kind of work If you had your choice of designing anything in the world, I mean, anything really, what would it be? Um, and why? Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I think um, I'd, I'd like to do I'd like to do some some national museums in, for some Pacific Island countries where we've worked in. I think, okay. or I think that would be you know something very interesting for us. Um, to bring bring our sort of grassroots knowledge to bear on a kind of national stage, um, I think just generally we're, we're we're keen to move more into the cultural space, and we have started design, um, and we've just finished one art centre, and we're, we're doing some more, and I think those sorts of projects are uh, kind of interesting to us. Is, it, is that called the glam sector? I believe. The... Is it? I don't know. No, I, the the I'm galleries, museums. libraries, something or other, and museums. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There now, you go. Now, now I know the lingo. <laughs> I, I might be more successful. So, um, but uh, but honestly, the thing I'd like to design most is an airport. An airport. An airport. Okay. And, and so why? Because you've travelled in so many of them, and, and and they're all really badly designed. Well, I started off doing transport architecture, and when I was when I was quite young, I I designed um, the what, what was the largest bus station in Europe at the time in Barnsley in the north of England. Oh, really? And uh, I just uh, find that kind of archetype very interesting. It's you know, it's about the future. It's about progress. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a true public space. It is. And um, and I just find that very that that type of architecture very exciting. It's not the answer you're probably expecting. No, no, it's it's a great answer. Yeah, but that's I'm, that's you know, I mean, we are architects after all. You know, and we don't like to be pigeonholed in what, right, okay. what, what we do. We we're just thinking all the time about good architecture. But it's like with every other profession, yes. You know, uh, whether you're a chef or an architect or, or, or God forbid, a journalist, um, you all you all want your. There is something you'd love to be doing. Sure, you love what you're doing now, but there is something if you had your choice. So, so for you, it's transport, hmm. airports. Wow, that is actually the first time I've ever heard anyone say they'd want to design an airport. And you know what? I think there is actually a need. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know because what we do very well is we just, we we imbue our buildings with culture and local materials and contextualize our buildings, and they're all the things that airports lack. Yeah, yeah, and so decent food, decent food, um, yeah. good signage, um, uh, cheap parking. Yeah, I, I could go on. That's true. Polite security. Polite security. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what are you talking here today at, at Front Design Twenty Nineteen? So today we're I'm on a panel. Um, just talking about our process towards consultation in Aboriginal communities. Okay. And, uh, you know, what I'll be talking about really is about how our approach is 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 just really an approach that's effective in any context because it's a iterative design process that's built on listening and involving clients, stakeholders and user groups. So it will work easily well. It will work equally well in an Aboriginal community as we, we, we use it in, but also in any other project um that had a lot of complex stakeholders, for instance. 
David Kaunitz from Kaunitz Jung Architecture. It has been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy your day. Uh, good luck with the talk. And I look forward to, and I will be talking to you again because I, I know exactly why too. Um, have, a, have a lovely day. You've been listening to Arch- uh, Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Brian Kermelitic. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.